My name is Jane Borowski, host of Invisible Tears. This podcast will be about my story and my words, talking about my own personal experiences and self-healing. I do not claim to be a therapist, counselor, or licensed psychologist. Hello, my name is Amanda Bedard, and I'm the co-host, producer, and editor of Invisible Tears. I'm a Reiki master, certified professional life coach, spiritual coach, wellness coach, and a counseling practitioner. Some of the content you will hear in this podcast may be disturbing to some. Viewer discretion is advised. But it is our hope by putting this information out there that we may help others to heal. We will always be a platform for truth and healing. Brought to you by Glassbox Media. This is Invisible Tears. Hey everyone, welcome to Invisible Tears. We are giving you Tuesday's episode early because we wanted you all to hear the podium remarks made at the New Hampshire Missing and Murdered event that occurred on Tuesday, August 15th, 2023 in Concord, New Hampshire in front of the Attorney General's office. This was recorded live and is coming to you unedited. You're going to be able to hear from all the advocates that spoke from the New Hampshire Coalition of Families for the Missing and Murdered, who organized the event, as well as other families who came to join and support and advocate themselves. During a portion of the remarks, you will even hear from Miles Madsen from the Attorney General's office. If you want to check out the visual, it's up on our YouTube channel, Invisible Tears Podcast. Good morning. And thank you all so much for joining us here today in our call to action, especially with this weather. We appreciate it. Wish we could control that. My name is Amanda Bedard, and I'm an advocate and a proud member of the New Hampshire Coalition of Families for the Missing and Murdered. The formation of our coalition is interesting in that it was an unforeseen product of our individual connections. We all met individually on our advocacy journey, really just to support one another. We wanted to know how we could help. Interestingly enough, once we all started meeting together as a group, we found out that while our individual cases are inherently different, we're all experiencing so many of the same things. The same roadblocks, lack of communication, frustration with members and officials within the AG's office and law enforcement, and honestly, the same downright disrespectful treatment at times from all these offices. And in realizing this, that is when we realized we needed to do something. We need to speak up. We need to bring attention to the problems because if we don't, who will? How will change come about if we don't? We need to form an organization to speak for all the unsolved cases in the state of New Hampshire. We're speaking for those who cannot speak for themselves anymore all of them. We are the voice for the voiceless. Originally, along with this event, we requested a group meeting with Attorney General John Formella himself. Not one of us has actually ever spoken with him directly. We were denied that group meeting. We did receive communication back from Chief Criminal Justice Bureau Senior Assistant Attorney General Miles Matson that they appreciated our invitation and we thank him for joining us here today. We look forward to speaking with him afterwards. On August 5th, Attorney General John Formella was quoted in a Concord Monitor article saying, we have regular communication with all 
our victims and family members in any case we have. That includes cold cases. You all will hear today how many, how many of us think this statement is false. Furthermore, he said, I'm absolutely open to sitting down with the folks who might be at the rally and having conversations with them. If a victim's family member comes in and wants to speak with me or speak with us, we're always happy to do that. But then, in a WMUR report just last night, he stated he will not attend today, saying the day is about the victims. How can we bring about change, and how can we speak with you if you will not meet with us? But back to the events of today. You're all going to hear from some amazing advocates whose strength, determination, and resilience is inspiring. Each has their own story, and they're going to share a piece of that with you today. First up, we have an amazing advocate who has kept her missing sister's case in the news for the last 19 years. Please welcome Julie Murray. Thank you all for coming. Over 130 victims over 130 devastated families, desperate for answers. That is why we are here today. When my sister Mara went missing 19 years ago, we were told to give it time. We've given it time. We've given it time. We stand before you today united in our demand for better communication, swifter action, and a more effective victim advocacy program. Our fear is that these cases will continue to languish in the bowels of that building, collecting dust. And we collectively will not let that happen. In 2007, the Assistant Attorney General told the New Hampshire Supreme Court that there was a 75% chance of law enforcement proceedings in my sister's case. This was the basis for withholding all of her case files, offering my family zero transparency. That was over 16 years ago. And yet nothing has happened since that time. In 2021, I sent numerous tips and leads to the cold case detective assigned to Mara's case, the one that had been assigned to her case for over a decade. They went unanswered, unacknowledged, for two months. Come to find out, he retired, yet no one in the Attorney General's office had the decency to even inform my family. This is the bare minimum and not too much to ask. It is unacceptable and one of the reasons why we're here today. I'm honored to be a part of this powerful group of advocates whose resilience and determination give me hope. I see this as an opportunity and the first step of many to a more collaborative relationship with those charged with our loved ones' cases. Mara was a kind soul.
she took being a big sister seriously. You will hear her influence in the words of my little brother, Curtis. Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you for being here today. Uh, I'd like to start by apologizing. I was not originally supposed to speak today, so I do not have anything formally prepared, uh, like most of the other speakers. Uh, I decided that because Julie does so much for our family, I need to do my part as well. Um, so I'm going to give a few words kind of off the cuff and from the only place that makes sense when talking about Mara, which is from the heart. It helps that it helps that I am um, speaking to people that can tr I feel that I can truly relate to. Uh, anyone that deals with a tragedy like ours knows that you go through life having people tell you that they can't imagine how you feel and, you know, wish there was more they could do. Uh, standing here, I know that there are people that can relate to the fact that every one of us here is a victim of tragedy. That's a word that I've heard used, that this should be about the victims. What seems to be forgotten about is the fact that all of us, as relatives of missing and unsolved cases, are ourselves victims. We go through our lives in a constant state of suffering due to the unresolved nature of our cases. There's a very real effect that that has on you, and that needs to be taken seriously, because we are victims and we go through our daily lives suffering from things like survivor's guilt. I know myself, it is hard for me to go through my life and experience true happiness because I am here and my sister is not. How am I supposed to be truly happy if I cannot bring my sister's case to a close and there are no answers and she is here and I have no idea where she is and there is no progress. The people in power that can move the needle and that can allocate resources and move our cases forward need to be accountable not only for the cases themselves but for the suffering and the pain of the relatives of the victims because we deal with it every single day it does not get better it does not go away there needs to be a better system and we need to be treated with more respect and have a clearer communication because our suffering is unending and that should always be in anyone's eyes unacceptable I appreciate you all lending me your ears, and um, I'm truly sorry for all that you have gone through. I can truly relate to it. I wish it on no one. I would not wish it on my worst enemy. I thank you so much for gathering with us today and being part of this, so hopefully we can move forward more productively and bring these cases to a resolution so we can all live the best lives that our loved ones would want for us. Thank you. Thank you, Julie. Thank you, Curtis. Next up, we have two amazing advocates who are, who just want justice for a case for their niece and friend. Please welcome Valerie Haynes Alvarez and Chloe French. So thank you, everyone, who took the time out to be here today. Is that better? There we go. 
So 2,035 days have passed since Trish Haynes made her last phone call to her grandmother in May of 2018. A few months later, her body was recovered from the bottom of Grant's Pond, a pond located within two miles from her last known location. There was not much left of her body. In the last 2,035 days that have followed, the family has had little to no correspondence with the state of New Hampshire. They have had a total of three different victim advocates assigned to them, one of whom has contacted the family once, and that was to discourage them from further contacting the police themselves. For the past five years, the only people investigating this heinous murder and dismemberment have been the members of the Trish Haynes family. And when they have contacted John Formello's office, the state police, Troop D, major crime units, and the, officer, the office of Governor Chris Sununu, they are given the same robotic script. That same script has been repeated back to us so frequently that I now have it memorized and could in turn qualify as a victim's advocate myself, according to the standards set forth by New Hampshire. The following phrase, we are still trying to determine what, if any, criminal charges can be brought forth is the epitome of correspondence we have received in the last five years. That is all. There is no update. There is no follow through. There is no justice. All evidence gathered has been gathered by the family. That includes the finding of a cell phone retrieved from the property that Trish was murdered at. A cell phone that we still have in our possession since it was found two years ago because according to state police that is not important enough for them to retrieve and for them to look at. Again, it's been two years we've had that evidence in our possession. All witnesses who have been brought to the police station to be interviewed have been contacted and arranged via the family. No arrests have been made, no updates have been provided, and as of now there is no actual proof of any active investigation. We were told to be quiet. We were told to let the police and detectives do their job. We were told to keep our mouths shut in order to not botch the investigation. Well, for five years we have done that, and look where we are now. 2,035 days have passed, and we are not a single step closer to arrests than we were the day Trish Haynes was reported missing. The state of New Hampshire's justice system is a joke, and their victim's advocacy program is insulting. The state of New Hampshire needs a fire lit under their ass, and that's exactly what we are here to do today. 2,035 days since Trish Haynes was brutally murdered and dismembered, and not a single thing has been done. That changes today with each and every one of us taking a stand and saying enough is enough. It is time for the, New Hampshire, the state of New Hampshire to do better. Thank you all for being here. As everybody else said, we're very thankful that you were able to come today to find out more about what we, our initiative is in order to find justice for all, the, all of our loved ones. I am the aunt of Trish. Uh, I spent many months trying to find her. Uh, once we found out that she had actually been murdered, put into a washing machine and dumped into the bottom of Grant's Pond, only two miles from the place where she was last seen, then nobody has ever really come to us and given us any answers from the AG's office. Uh, we've had, the only way that I found out what happened to my niece was because other people came to me 
and told me that they had seen her there, they had seen her abused there, they know that very well the people who are involved in this case, and the AG still has not done anything about any of them. Uh, two of them are still have gone to prison for some other of their long list of offenses. They are career criminals. They should rot in jail, and they should be able to solve this case before they get out and do it to somebody else. They are vile people. They have done despicable things to my niece. Uh, I have a young girl who was living in the house at the time, and she sh took us through that house and showed us different areas in the house where Trish had been abused, where they made her sleep on a dog blanket out in a, sh a shed in the cold of the winter. We have so much evidence, and nobody has ever really come to us and has even interviewed the people who have come to me with all this information. It, we don't say that every single word of that is true, but at least investigate, talk to them, find out for yourselves what is true and what is not. Because the bottom line is she was chopped up, put into a washing machine, and dumped in a pond two miles from where she was last kept. That, if that case cannot be solved here in the state of New Hampshire, then I don't give any hope for any of the other cases, especially if they don't have a body they don't have the evidence that we have in this case, if they can't solve our case, they're not going to solve any of them. So we need to really keep on talking. Thank you. Thank you, Val. Thank you, Chloe. Next, is Annette Brendel here? I apologize. Yes, perfect. Um, I apologize, I didn't get to connect with you before, before we started the march. Um, next up we have Annette Brendel and her family. Annette is advocating for her murdered sister. Hello, I'm Annette Brendel. Annette Moss Brundle. This is my mother, Sally. I'm Carrie's older sister. Carrie had recently turned 14, and she went missing the summer of 1989 from New Boston, New Hampshire. Her remains were found two years later by boys playing in New Boston in the woods. The cause of death was never determined, but the state has treated it as a homicide. When the New Hampshire cold case unit was formed, Carrie's case is one that our family was told would be a top priority. They felt it was very solvable. Despite these reassurances, there was very little communication with our family about the status of the investigation. When we requested meetings with the detectives, we were the ones that answered the questions for the detectives. We are the ones that were giving them leads. It's like every new detective that comes along, and there has been many over the years, some lasting just few months in the position. They've not been briefed on the case or its current status. It feels like the information we provide falls into a black hole. 
is there even a detective assigned to Carrie's case right now? In 2021, we received a strong tip that involved an individual with declining health. We turned this new information over to the New Hampshire Cold Case Unit. Six months after, we were told they were working on the, the tips as resources provided and recommend having a family meeting in the fall. In July, of 2022, the meeting finally happened. Two of the members of the cold case unit were present. One was the assistant attorney general, no detectives. We were told that the New Hampshire cold case unit did not have the time nor the resources to follow up on the tip. Which involves a person with significant health issues. We are not okay with this. If the New Hampshire cold case unit has run out of its funding, they need to be honest about it so we can follow up on this lead before this person health fails. We sincerely hope that today's rally will bring some much heated change to the relationship between the New Hampshire cold case unit and the families of the victims. Thank you. It was very hard for me. Thank you, Annette. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. And now back to our episode. And last but certainly not least, we have an amazing woman who I can honestly not just call my friend, but my inspiration as well. She's not only advocating for the brutal attack against herself and her unborn child that stands beside her today, but she is advocating for the other eight women connected to her attack that did not survive. Please welcome Jane Borowski. First, before I forget, um, there's so many people here I want to thank. Uh, Shana, you made all those flyers and, and the pamphlets, and thank you very much. They, they came out great. And thank you for all your advice for putting on this, this event. Um, Amanda. She's the MC tonight, today, and uh, she has done, she has made so many phone calls in the past couple of weeks to the AG office, trying to get them out here to speak with us, um, letting them know that this rally was going to happen. She has answered and sent so many emails, I can't even count. Um, she's my ride or die, and uh, my best friend. Thank you, Amanda. I'm overwhelmed, <laughs> obviously. 35 years ago, I was only 22. 
I was seven months pregnant and I was stabbed 27 times and I survived. And then I find out I was stabbed by a serial killer. And then I find out I was the only survivor. Over the years, I have had little, if any, contact with the AG office. I would call every five, six, seven years asking for info, and half the time they didn't even know who I was because they were new in the office, they were incoming new detectives or um, whatever. They had one excuse after the other. I'd call, give my name, and then they turn around and, and say, oh, I'm gonna have to look your name up, I'll call you back. Yeah, that made me feel really good. Unacceptable! I thought for so many, so many years that I was the only one being treated like this. And then I met up with Trish and Trish supporters last year with, the, with Trish's rally. And I'm like, wow, they have a lot of the same complaints that I do. And then um, Julie invited me to Maura's vigil back in February, and we got to talking. And, I was, I was listening to her same grievances that I had and that Trisha's family had. And I was like, oh my God, okay, I'm not alone. These are three very different cases. And I felt a little bit better. I, I wasn't alone. I, okay, maybe it wasn't just me that, that they were, um, they were not contacting or returning my phone calls or, responding to my emails because I was a survivor. That's what I thought. I thought because I was a survivor, I was low man on the totem pole, that my case didn't matter. And then we got together, me and Chloe's family, uh, Trisha's family and Julie, and we started off with these three, we're three advocates just advocating for people and, our, and myself, all we want is answers and some kind of communication. And I look around today and I see so many families going through what I have been going through for years, thinking that I was so alone. It's crazy and mind-blowing to me. And it is so unacceptable. Thank you. You know, these are the people I'm advocating for, but I'm technically advocating for everybody in this state. Kathy Milliken, 27. Mary Elizabeth, Betsy Critchley, 37. Bernice Cordemarsh, 17. Ellen Freed, 26. Eva Morse, 27. Those are just the New Hampshire ones that this serial killer killed. Now we'll go to Vermont. 
Linda Moore, 36. Barbara Agnew, 38. Heidi Martin, 16. These are all unsolved cases. And then I have two others that I have just picked up that I started advocating for. And that is Tina and Bethany Sinclair from Chesterfield, New Hampshire. They have been missing for 22 years. The authorities know who killed them. But this man still walks. Why? It doesn't make sense. Trisha's, Trisha's monster that killed her, she still walks. Why? Why is there always not enough evidence to charge these people? Get these monsters off the streets. You know, Val said something earlier that I have heard so many times, whether it was from older people or younger people or upstate or downstate, if you wanna commit murder and get away with it, come to New Hampshire. How disturbing is that? We are better than that. We should be. And the AG office should find that extremely disturbing and sad and just, it angers me. It angers me very much. We, we are the voices for those who don't have voices. And we cannot let them be forgotten. Because if we forget them, they forget about them. And then their case is put in a file and put in a, cab a file cabinet and they're not looked at for years. Years. I don't even know the last time my case was looked at. I'll give a quick example. Three years ago, out of the clear blue, somebody from the cold case unit called me up and said, we lifted a print off your car 30 years ago that we could not identify. Can you come in and be re-fingerprinted? Absolutely. Absolutely. If that's going to help my case, absolutely. They said, okay, we'll contact you in a couple of weeks and have you come in. We'll make arrangements for you to do it in Keene at the state police barracks. That was three freaking years ago, and I still haven't gotten a call back. Are you kidding me? So, I mean, it, maybe you found my fingerprints that were taken back in 1988. Give me a call. Tell me. Let me know. You know, communication goes a long ways. And I think that's all, you know, what we're mostly asking for is some open communication. Know that you listen. Show us some compassion. Where is the compassion from the AG's office? You know, last time I talked to one of the, the AG, the assistant AG, you know what, I'm even gonna call him out because I can't stand the son of a bitch. Jeff Strausen. The last time, the last time I talked to him, he made me feel like 
I should be, I should feel fortunate that I was one of the survivors. Are you kidding me? I was stabbed 27 times. This was a, an attempted murder on me and my unborn child. And I should just feel thankful that I'm alive? I, I just don't understand the system. And, and it's, it's just, it's so bad. And I, I just, I look around and I'm just still so overwhelmed by all these families that feel the same exact way that I do. And if this doesn't open the AG's office eyes, I don't know what will. And I know if we don't start seeing changes, this will not be our last rally. I, it's not going to be. You know, what do we want? We want change. We want action. And we want justice. Why, why do we have to beg for it? I don't understand it. If it was your family member, action would have been taken already, and that's a guaranteed fact. Exactly. One of your mothers, one of your children, one of your daughters, anything like that, laws would have been changed. But because we're here and because our loved one who was murdered was looked at like she was this big because of the people she surrounded herself with, it's not talked about. Because she wasn't some cute little girl like Harmony Montgomery, it's not talked about. If it was your daughter, you'd give a shit, but you don't. And you can say you do, but you don't. But you can change that. You can change that. You can change that. I mean, let's, let's make some changes. Let's do better. Let's, let's do better by these victims. You know, use resources. Now, get resources. Find the resources. Find the resources. The FBI should be involved in all of these. I agree. I agree. The families of the Connecticut River Valley because it was Vermont and New Hampshire victims, have asked for the FBI to come in, and they were declined. They did not want the FBI to come in and investigate these cases. Why? Give me a reason why. I don't get it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, what do we do now? Where do we go from here? Where do we go? Are we being heard today? Prove it. Prove it. Show us. Show us. Thank you for being here, for bringing attention to these cases, to these victims, because you mentioned collaboration. Mm -hmm.
that's important because we have the same mission here, which is bringing justice, pursuing justice in these cases. So thank you. We are here. We will continue to listen with you today. So thank you. We do have a couple of last minute ads of people that want to say some brief remarks uh, before we meet with you. Miles. Um, please welcome uh, Tracy Sheehan and Kelly Holden. Hi. Our brother was murdered 14 years ago in the town of Allenstown, New Hampshire. He was found by two kayakers floating face down in the Piscataqua River. The only way he was identified was through his tattoos. We were told back then to not interfere because it could mess up the case. And everyone that worked on his case is retired or now gone to somewhere else. Never gotten calls. We have never gotten any information. We can't get a hold of any details. And speak up. We have no advocate at all. We've never had an advocate. We didn't even know that was a thing until today. I never had an advocate. Nope. Never I've ever never heard of that. What we're hoping is that the people that know about this case from 14 years ago would finally grow a pair and come forward and give us some information that they have been too scared to speak about because of the individuals that caused my brother's death were heinous people. And the people that know about it were too frightened to speak. I hope they have grown up, matured, and have the cojones to finally give some damn answers. Yes. Because yes. Yes. I, for one, am furious. My baby brother was taken from us unnecessarily. And it's unacceptable. Well, what's unacceptable is not getting any answers when we call or when I email um, I'm from the state of Tennessee, and I still fight every year for my brother, every day. And some of you have probably seen my post all over Facebook, because I do it all the time. But, you know, we want answers. We know who allegedly done it, um, but they won't investigate it. So it's very important that the office, the AG's office, really pushes these different police departments to, to investigate it more. And that's what I'm not seeing anything from the AG. I'm not seeing anything from the sheriff's department, the police departments, the local police departments. It's cold. State the state police. It's a cold case. Well, we don't have any new evidence. No, it's not closed. But yes, it is closed. Um, I can't get any of the information, any of the files. You can't spare the detectives. That's another one I get a lot of, too. Mm -hmm. So we need some positive people to speak with to give us the answers because... My mother's not going to be around much longer. We also she needs answers. We also need to know. We also need to know that if people do come forward with tips and with information, that, that it will protected. be taken seriously and it will be investigated, not just pushed aside because you don't have the time or the resources. Not too long ago, just a few years ago, I heard that the state of New Hampshire was getting a big 
chunk from the federal government to go toward cold cases. And they should not be cherry picking the cases they want to do. It's not right to all of us. We all have a need for answers so that we can put this to rest within ourselves to live some sort of a peaceful life without our loved one. They cannot cherry pick the cases. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. And next up, Ken Dion. Hi to all of you guys. I wasn't planning on speaking today. I just wanted to come and give my support. My sister Bobby Miller was murdered in her home in 2010. How's that? Any better? No. Any better? Okay. My sister Bobby Miller was murdered in her home in 2010. And I have the exact same experience as everybody else here. So I'm going to tell you just a couple of things here. There were five different detectives on my sister's case, and I was always very diplomatic and friendly with all of them. I'm going to say that some of those detectives, they probably told me things they shouldn't have told me, but they did tell me, and I kept it very private. I didn't share this information with my own family. I didn't share it with the other detectives. But I can tell you at one time, one of the detectives told me, we have two cases that we know we can get a conviction on and the AG's office won't let us make an arrest. So, not too far after I was told that, I ended up speaking at a victim's advocate meeting here in Concord. There were probably 300 people there. The governor was there. Uh, Senator Donna Susie was there. Um, a few different folks. The uh, Gordon McDonald, the Attorney General at the time, was there. So I got up and spoke and I addressed everybody in the audience just to let them know that they, like myself and my family, had no representation, absolutely none. So when, when you guys are meeting with the AG's office, like I was, I met with Streslin and Benegatti. When you're meeting with these guys, and I actually met with Susan Morrill, the um, prosecutor for cold case actually actually met with me and my mother and my sisters told us how very dear and near to her this case was well it turns out that Susan Morrill was not allowed to prosecute cold case for the next three years now I sat in her office and she told me how near and dear this was and how she was gonna work on this case she wasn't allowed to work in cold case for three years I'm not making this up I spoke at this public forum and I stated the facts and the dates. When I was done speaking, Gordon McDonald, the AG at the time, got up and he addressed the, the audience as well. And he said, ladies and gentlemen, I need to tell you everything that this gentleman just said is the truth. So I'm not making this up, guys. When they're telling you guys they have somebody that's working on your case and cold case, it's a bold-faced lie. It's not happening, period. So. After this, Gordon McDonald came up to me and he asked me, would you be willing to speak in front of the Senate Finance Committee? And we're trying to appropriate funding for cold case. And I said, of course I would. So I did speak in front of the Senate Finance. And, I, and, I, and I'm speaking for all of you. There was 132 cold cases at the time. I referenced that. I referenced the lack of manpower, no prosecutor, one part-time detective, basically nobody to represent any of us. So the Senate Finance, of course, they take this under their uh, 
whatever, they're going to talk about it. And um, then they also asked me to testify in, in front of the House Committee, which I did as well, basically making the same argument. This is in 2000, and this is 2018, I think. So 2019 rolls along, and they decide that they're going to appropriate some funding for Cole case, which is going to be to hire one full-time prosecutor and one full-time detective. So this is 2019 now. But they tell me this funding isn't going to come for two years. It'll be 2021 before they act on this. So 2021 rolls around, they do not act on it. 2022 rolls around, they do not act on it. Now, December 6th, I happen to be on TV on Channel 9 talking about some of this stuff. And Ben Agati, our assistant uh, AG that we all know, gets on TV and he says, we do have prosecutors. We have many. Well, that's a bold-faced lie, guys. But I'm going to defend him for a minute because it's not really a lie. What they do is they don't lie to us. They just don't tell the truth, right? So it's not really a lie because the truth of the matter is there's all kinds of prosecutors that work for the state of New Hampshire, and they could draw them in and have them work on anything they want whenever they want. So, so yes, do we have prosecutors? Yes, we do. But are they working in cold case? No, they aren't. That was a bold-faced lie. So I reached out to a senator, whose name I'm not going to mention, but I'm not very pleased with any of our senators. I've spoken to many, like I'm sure many of you have. They'll tell you anything you want to hear, and the minute you walk out of the room, they forget your name and that you were even there. We've all been through it. But anyway, I speak with this senator, and she talks to these guys about it, and she says, well, they do have an attorney. He's going to start in February. And I said, well, we're talking about December when they got on public television and lied to the public saying we have a full-time prosecutor. We did not. What are you going to do about it? And she says, what do you want me to do about it? I said, somebody needs to be held accountable. Well, what do you want me to do about it? And that's the answer. So now we, I, I think, I'm not positive, I've actually met with a gentleman, Scott Chase, that is a prosecutor in a cold case. But I don't know if he's full-time, part-time. I don't know what Sometimes time he is. Sometimes. Yes. Sometimes. Yeah. So anyway, the serious problem with this. So we as a group here, we need to get together. There's strength in numbers, folks. We need to get together and really make our voices heard. Because you know what's going to happen? We're going to be back here next year saying all the same stuff. Nothing's going to change. We've got to get outside of this circle and make our voices heard. We need to embarrass the state of New Hampshire on national television. I have a direct line of somebody that works for 2020. Please see me before we leave here today. I want to talk to you. Another thing about this, the FBI that um, Trish commented on, the FBI is willing to help in these cases. I've spoken to the FBI. Yes, we will help. If the state of New Hampshire will ask us for help, we will help. So here we are with the state of New Hampshire. No, no funding, no manpower. Sounds like you need help, guys. They won't take it. The help is there. They're so concerned about their reputation. They brag that we have this you know, 90 or 95% conviction rate. Well, of course you do. You, you don't prosecute anybody unless they walk in and admit they did it, right? I mean, in all of us, I've asked, I've asked the prosecutors before, I say, look, come to the family. 
say, you know, we might have a 50, 60, 70, 80% chance of getting a conviction, and if not, this person's gonna walk. What do you wanna do? I would say roll the dice. We know who did it in my sister's case, roll the dice. I think we all would do that. Um, a couple other quick points here. I can go on and on and on. This file is just my case. Um, we asked to have an independent polygraph examiner question one of the people in this, this case. I asked several times to have that polygraph examiner do that, and every time the, the answer was, we'll look into it. I never got an answer. Can you imagine that? Never got an answer, just like you guys. All right, they tell me they're gonna send some divers down in the lake to, to look for something. Well, it was three years went by before they sent those divers down. Three years, awful hard to believe. This is a murder case we're talking about. They don't find anything. So I say, you know what? I have friends that are divers. I have a friend that's retired from the FBI that developed the formula for removing fingerprints off of submerged items. Can we send our own divers down? We'll get back to you on that. What do you think I heard? It's been 13 years. Nope. And I don't ask just once. I ask repeatedly. I ask in emails. I've got documentation. That's what you get from the state of New Hampshire. I'm going to comment one more time on uh, Trisha. She stabbed 27 times. She's lucky to be a survivor, right? She, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jane. Well, she might be a survivor, but there's a difference between surviving and living. You really think she's living a good life? Just like the rest of us, but I mean, my heart goes out to her. What an absolute shame. But we're supposed to be happy that we're living. Something seriously wrong with this picture. One other quick thing. I was a point of contact for my family for 13 years with cold case, 13 years. Well, after I started making waves in January when I spoke to a senator, you know what I found out? I'm no longer the contact person. Isn't that something? They don't need to speak to me anymore. I'm not the contact person. Well, I was for 13 years, but changed. Anyway, everybody, please try to reach me before you leave today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Great job. Great job. Thank you all so much. And that wraps up our speakers for the day. Um, just a couple of quick points. Again, thank you all for joining us here. We want to make sure that we stay connected with each and every one of you. So please come and see Chloe. She has her hand up right here. She can take your contact information. We are stronger in numbers. And we are the New Hampshire Coalition of Families for the Missing and Murdered. Jane, do you want to come up here? Oh, yes, yes. Shana and her amazing organization, Light the Way, is actually putting together a website for us. So while right now we just have an email address, which is nhunsolved at gmail.com, we will soon have a website. Thank you, Shana. Jane. Jane. Come here. <laughs> You're going to lead a chant anyway, right? Come on up here. Julie's very good at... Um, keeping all the updated information on her pages. So as soon as Shana, uh, uh, the website is up and running and going, um, Julie's 
everybody knows Julie's website. Go to her website or go to Justice for Trish. Yeah, your website's all over the place too. Invisible Tears dash dot com. We will keep everybody updated um, with the website, and that'll be a good go-to place to go to uh, get more information. I'm almost positive we're going to be doing another one of these rallies. Jana, you want to come up? Yes. And keep watch for positive changes because we're hoping after this meeting that that's exactly what we'll, we will start seeing from the state of New Hampshire. Yep. Um, we're also going to have a call for action. So there will be, um, sorry, um, this one, okay. Um, an email that will, um, a sample email that has been written by the coalition. We are going to be asking all of you to contact Attorney General um, John Formella. It is asking him to listen to our initiatives, to meet with us, and what we're asking for, change, action, and justice. We also have a um, brochure that we've put together going into details and how we would like that action, change, and justice. To, and what it would look like. Um, so you can take that. It tells more about the founders, um, the stories of the families, how our organization came together. It has our emails, and it also has a link to the 130 plus cold cases. Um, just so you know, there are families that are missing from that cold case list. We have come across families who aren't on the cold case list. That is another question we plan to ask the Attorney General. Why are there families who are missing? So stay tuned, more to come. This is just our first stop on the event and we hope that all of you will jump on in with us. Thank you very much, Shana. So, we're going to do a chant? Yeah. Yes, we are. What do you want to start with? What do we want? Justice! 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 When? Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Invisible Tears. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast to hear all future episodes. Click into our link tree too in the episode description to find and follow us on all our social medias. And it also links to our website, invisible-tears.com, where you can keep current on any events that may be coming up, read more about Jane and the team, and read more about all the Connecticut River Valley unsolved cases. If you want to learn more about my wellness practice, Guided Path Wellness, head to guidedpathwellness.org. There you can read more about me and my certifications, more about the Reiki and coaching services I offer both in person and remote, and read all about my products for sale that I make through the practice. Feel free to utilize the contact us section on the website with any questions or utilize that free 15 minute consultation booking button if you have any questions about what might work for you. Evil may exist in this world, but we will not let it win. See you next episode.